0: That'll be good. That'll be like a gateway into my own.
1: Like, I'm a, yeah. I'm a mental case, you know. People don't know that about me. I thought that the I'm nervous line was very endearing. I hope that stays in the finals <laughs> That would be perfect to cut. It. I know, right? Let's we'll start it. I'm really nervous. I'm really nervous. Q theme song.
0: Hey Soma, this is Brad. I love you all. Wow. It's so great to be the church together. And it's so special that we get to be citizens of Jesus's kingdom in this city and this time. It's such an honor and such a privilege. And my prayer is that the spirit would just empower all of us to be witnesses of the gospel, witnesses of the gospel, making other people new and making ourselves new to. As we mentioned this past Sunday, we're starting another round of our preaching cohort where we're going to equip people within their gifts and within their personalities to preach on Sunday mornings so that the church can be built up and nurtured and grow up in love. And preaching is an important part of that. And for the first time, we're beginning to equip and train women to preach within our gatherings underneath the authority of elders. Women have shared within panels, and they've co-taught with men in our church. Women have led worship. They lead missional communities. They lead within the apostolic team. They share on Celebration Sundays. They baptize people. They lead communion and a host of many, many other things. However, this does represent a shift in how we're going to live out our theology, that we as elders— Uh, have decided we want to provide clarity on what we believe first about preaching, like what it is, and we want to provide clarity on how you'll begin to see shifts on who is preaching, because we believe preaching is not limited to elders. We've been having non-elders preach for many, many years, and we also believe then that it's not limited to men. We also wanted to clarify what Uh, is happening on a Sunday morning and how you can engage in preaching because that's often misunderstood. So in this episode and the three episodes that follow, we're not really having a pipe and beer conversation, but we're humbly articulating how the biblical background of preaching and we'll hit all of the key passages around what preaching is biblically. We also, in these episodes, are going to talk about the historical theological background That's been built up over the years. And we're also going to dive into just how we as a church will engage this gift and this privilege uh, as we empower other people to do it. And through all this, you're going to hear uh, what we believe is clarity. And we want to give that clarity to the body. And we think that that's one of the roles of elders primarily is to protect the church from false doctrines and also clarify doctrines because clarity is kindness. And we thought the best way to do that is with an interview and conversational context, not a sermon or not a paper. So you can hear our voices. You can hear our tone. Sometimes you'll even hear us laugh. Lastly, you're going to notice very quickly that there aren't any women in these episodes. And I get it. That can seem really weird since Although most of the conversation is about preaching, it's also about women to a certain degree. Uh, But don't worry, women being part of these conversations is definitely coming. But for these episodes, we wanted to pull back the curtain on the elder team and give you the rationale, the processing, and the hearts of the elders as we shift this one area of our church. Wow, that was a lot. I'll be honest. Casey and I were just joking in the cold opening about me being nervous, and I actually am. I'm not nervous that our convictions are wrong, but I'm kind of nervous because this topic has a capacity and a history of being very polarizing. That's my nervousness. However, that's balanced out with my confidence that the unity that we have in the gospel is bigger than all of this. And so I want us to pursue this unity together have empathy towards one another even as we talk about these things that can be explosive or could bring up past wounds or past issues or maybe there's things that you're not quite sure about and i just ask you to engage with us if something we say is confusing or something we say kind of sparks one notion that you have from your past or even present just please uh, come and talk to us Also, there'll be show notes with references to everything that we talk about and additional articles and resources. So, hope you enjoy this episode, and you'll be able to
1: dive right into it with me and Casey. All right, let's introduce ourselves for our our listeners. That's great. Um, I'll go first. I'm playing the moderator this time. My name is Casey. Hello. Uh, Podcast audience. Hi, Casey. (laughs) It's nice. I'm gonna look at you whenever I am talking in the audience. Um, and I guess by the time that people are listening to this, well, by the time they're listening to this, I might already be an elder with soma colvers. We'll see. Or I might. <laughs> I not, not I didn't think about that possibility. I and might not make it, it could through. Could be really awkward. And, you know, we're still gonna publish. Be this. an elder. <laughs> In which case, man, what an intro Or uh, I have not yet been confirmed, but yeah. going to be someday. That's great. Yeah. And, uh, super excited to be here and thankful to get to play a role and moderate uh, the conversation for everybody. That's awesome. I'm glad you're here, Casey,
0: you've Thank done a lot of work you. on this that's made it so much better around. Thank you. And yeah, my name's Brad and I am an elder. It's some Culver city and I also have the privilege of pastoring and I don't know, whatever that means. I get, I get freed up all of my time for work gets to go into leading and caring for and preparing the church for the work of
1: ministry. It's great for us. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Casey. Yeah, man.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm real excited about
1: this. Me too. Not nervous at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's too late. <laughs> it's too late to record. We already caught it. That's it great. Um, and I'm going to start with this. I think one of the interesting things about this topic or like the thing that struck me maybe when I first saw this as the episode was you don't actually see a lot of what you might call preaching throughout the Bible. So, like, what is preaching according to the Bible? Where does that actually happen in the story? Absolutely.
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Because it's a, it's one of those really interesting Christian life questions where you're like, wait, this seems so essential and crucial. Mm-hmm. It must be in there, but it actually isn't. Just kind of like God helps those who help themselves. Oh, that's not... really in there and there's there's not in terms of for something that we carry with such great importance there's not a lot of biblical data of like and then the people all sat down in pews and after a few songs someone stood up and
1: preached so that's 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 hard to find i haven't seen that verse yet (laughs) yeah (laughs) so
0: i think that which i do think that that lends itself to a wild west yeah, interpretation. Yeah, thing that happens where preaching can be group therapy, mm. or preaching can be self-help, or mm-hmm. you can make it a lecture where preaching is learning stuff or getting the news, but with a, a Christian slant, like the Fox News or something.
1: That one's very popularly.
0: Yeah, it's like you. <laughs> So here's the news, I'm giving it to you right? with whatever the people on the radio or YouTube told me to say. Yeah. Well. <laughs> it's not yeah. even their news. <laughs> yeah, which is, I guess, kind of like op-ed stuff, which is all, yeah, harmful and stuff. So there is a weird part, though, that those different things, the help for the soul, how to parent, how to be married, how to be single... How to think about the world, how to interact with the world. There's like just like anything that's that's not true, the reason it, it lasts is because there's elements of it mm, that are true. And so there that is part of preaching. Yeah. But yeah, I can go through the Bible if you want. Do it. Verse by
1: verse. <laughs> <laughs> hit it. Hit so, us with it.
0: Yeah, I think that the old testament gives us pictures of preaching. I guess that's what you would see through this whole survey of the Bible that I'm going to give, is if we, if we take all these different data points or narrative moments and put them all together, what is preaching? Which is called biblical theology, which is what our church does for everything. So the Old Testament gives you a lot of little bits with the prophets. particularly prophets after David and Solomon. So Hmm. what you have is just summary of the story of the people of Israel. You have people like Moses who goes up and gets the law from God written on tablets of stone, comes down, gives it to the people and then goes into the tent of meaning and comes out and says, this is what God said about all of these aspects of the world Uh, who we are, how to obey, sacrifices, how to build the tabernacle, how to build everything, right? How to sacrifice. And that is not preaching because it is straight up, God is saying these things. It'd be a lot easier, actually. Yeah. There (laughs) he just got a tablet each (laughs) week. There's a little tablet. (laughs) There is this moment in Deuteronomy where Deuteronomy is the most, it is like a sermon. Like he gathers the people around, they're about Mm -hmm. to go into Israel and or yeah into israel the promised land and he's standing there not going to go in because of a backstory that is fun to talk about sometime but he's not going and so he kind of summarizes the law and gives them really intense like parting words kind of like a farewell speech um he's going to say it for the last time thanks hamilton uh (laughs) so that's what moses does and in it he kind of it is an interesting look at preaching because what he does is he says God has said all of this stuff, the creation of the world, who we are as people, how to follow, how to obey, all of these commands. And then he kind of summarizes it in the what the Bible calls the Shema. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, strength. And he basically says, this is the law. and He And he summarizes, which is a part of preaching. He's taking what God has done, who he's revealed himself to be. And he's explaining it to a crowd so that they would understand and then obey. So that's like one quick example. Then there's not a lot of examples of preaching the prophets, uh, like Samuel. They're walking around just kind of doing stuff, for God, like their life is obedience. There's not Samuel giving these huge speeches or interpreting the Bible or explaining. There's none of that. Uh, the judges don't really do that very much. The only example... In that era is this lady Deborah who gives some really rousing speeches to this is what this is what God has done this is what God is doing right now and this is what God will do. Wow!
1: So Deborah's
0: our
1: Deborah's our first data point.
0: Yeah, after Moses, <laughs> after it's Moses, like, you go, it's Moses Deborah. the Deborah. Yeah. Uh, there's some other there's some cool worship leader data points. The first worship leader in the Bible is Miriam who after the people uh, are rescued and redeemed out of Israel and Pharaoh's destroyed in the the Red Sea, she stands up and sings a song and, and leads the whole people in this worship. But then, yeah, there's no, it's Moses going in and then it's Deborah in the book of Judges. Yeah. who Who stands up and some people say, oh, nobody else was standing up, but All of the judges were people that were appointed by God for that time, for that moment. And so it's completely God's sovereign design and time that she would stand up on Mount Tabor, name of our dog, side (laughs) note. (laughs) But not, anyway. Yeah, don't work that in. Yeah, there it is. (laughs) So, white poodle. Anyway, so she stands up and she's like, this is what God has done. And this is even how we can have faith in him moving forward. Uh, So yeah, she's the kind of first data point. Not a lot of data points until after the life of David. Prophets are still operating in that Samuel mode of doing things on behalf of God. Their lives themselves are demonstrations of what God has done. They're not explaining things, teaching things, uh, anything like that. But then after David and Solomon's reign, Israel becomes really divided, literally. Judah, Israel, there's hard stuff, there's bad stuff, good kings, bad kings, and you have the rise of these prophets who stand up and say, wait, this is what God said. This is how God acted. This is, this is who we are. Let's go back to God because that's what he's like and he's good and he's gracious and let us, let's be the people God called us to be. And so, that actually continues a lot. And it's all done underneath this word prophesying, uh, and they did it on the streets, in squares. They did it in the royal court. They did it on the temple steps. Uh, all of those things. Uh, the people were being called back to belief. So there's this kind of calling to believe who God is, yeah. and to trust Him and to obey, and, and so to that's turn. and to return. Well, yeah, You have had before. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah which is, I think we hear that and we're like, yeah, that's preaching. Uh, that's, that's it. Yeah. And then you have, uh, Ezra leading a group of preachers when they're like, they're reading through the whole Bible and they have you have the, the, he names all of these people who are out there explaining the Bible to people as it's being preached, uh, or it's, as it's being read. So, yeah. So, what we take from the Old Testament is preaching has to do with calling people to remembrance of who he is, what he's done, who we are, how we're called to live. I guess, in other words, preaching is telling the story and telling our story with God at the center. So, that's the Old Testament. That's great. Yeah.
1: Love that definition. (laughs) Yeah. But there's more. There's more because... (laughs) The New Testament actually does have. I mean, at least when I was first grappling with the topic, I was like, "Well, there's preaching in the New Testament." Yeah, I've seen that a couple times. Yeah, but maybe was discounting all these other instances because they weren't under a label in Scripture of preaching. Yeah, versus prophesying,
0: right? Because it's really different in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. It's it's a little bit more of a head trip because you have things like Mark chapter one where it talks about Jesus is preaching the good news. Everywhere he's going, he's preaching the good news. And then the good news is like six words in Greek. So how is that a sermon? And those six words are like, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. So that's really, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> really very short message. But that does, there's this word, it's euangelizio, which is evangelizing. Uh, we have evangelism, but really that's the word that we have. But it, that's just a transliteration of that Greek word, which means good news telling. Uh, we tell the good news in all these places. And so throughout the book of Acts, so Jesus preached good news, but then throughout the book of Acts, you have these apostles and disciples that spend their time proclaiming good news. Essentially, they're messengers. Like, this is what God has done. The good news is the victory of God over sin and death through Jesus. And so they're out there just sharing the good news. It was like, God is victorious. He's the King. And so there's this, yeah, that whole piece, even the, the proclaiming good news is basically the definition of that is, is what preaching is in all of those settings. Uh, the good news about Jesus, how he's defeated sin, death and evil. And a really like a fascinating part about that is multiple layers is the settings are not, how we would think of it. So the the Sermon on the Mount. I just did air quotes
1: <laughs> for those of you who can't join us by <laughs> a video. Even half air quotes. Our that's recording so, video. <laughs> so lazy. Uh,
0: <laughs> the Sermon on the Mount is actually uh, the words are around teaching, not you know preaching. Right. And the rest is the preaching is at dinner tables in cough coff- in like courts in the marketplace, on roads, things like that. And then the apostles and the disciples do the same thing. It's in all of those arenas as well. And so preaching then has to do with proclaiming good news that Jesus' life, death and resurrection happened, and this is what it means for us. This is how it's changed everything. And the first people to do that after the resurrection are, are women as well. So the first people who get to come and say, he's not dead, he's alive, preaching the good news is, yeah, Mary, Joanna, Salome, explaining that uh, to two disciples. And then many others did as well. And yeah, we can talk about that. But that's one big aspect of the New
1: Testament is preaching good news. Which is also, that's once again, the calling back. From what we hear yeah. in the Old Testament, right? Yeah. And once again, this idea of reminding, yeah, or bringing people back to a truth that maybe they had forgotten or let go of in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Or are hearing for the first time when yeah. it's the women showing up, it's yeah. the literal first time literal first anyone time, yeah. has said that Jesus is alive. Right.
0: Yeah. And when Paul stands. In Athens, he's talking to people who have no framework for it at all. Mm -hmm. And he's, you know, making it clear. We'll talk about that more later, but there's that setting too. Yeah.
1: That's great. Yeah. Um, Can we uh, jump backward for a second and talk a little bit more about what's happening, like, when we preach and why that is the format that we teach the Bible in? Like, what, what did we... I don't want to jump ahead to what modernity has done to preaching, but it is interesting. Like what what's going on? Yeah. What's going on within us or maybe within the preacher, if you want to expand on that a little bit. Yeah. Like from the Bible's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be interesting. Yeah. I think that,
0: you know, one of the coolest examples of that is Peter gives a sermon on Pentecost, which is like a real, like a legit, like, we have it written out. Here's the sermon where he explains the gospel. And he preaches the gospel about how kind of boldly, like the person you murdered is the one that rose again and we're speaking by the power of the spirit because the things that we were told about in the prophets is coming true today. And it's like, so repent and be baptized. So he's doing what Jesus did. But what's really amazing, I guess, and what's happening in the people is it says that those who listened were cut to the heart. And so there's this aspect of what's happening is not only is are like the words persuasive, like a, a good speech writer or something, or yes, we can, yes, we, like a rhythm and a timber, hmm. but what is happening is a person's heart is being convicted. Like that's where we get that word. Like your, your heart is cut uh, and you have to think about the world differently you have to think about God differently. It changes something about you and your soul and your life. And that's what you see. Even the ramifications of Jesus preaching is captives being set free, like people who are being oppressed, like demonically set free. You have people that are experiencing all the shame and guilt set, be made clean, be brought into the center of community all through, like the words are being spoken. And they're so like true and clear and like it, it's the good news. That's actually like that's saving people obviously, but it's through that preaching, uh, or as Paul says in Romans, you know, faith comes from hearing, hearing the words of life. And so there isn't an, just an intrinsic aspect to as humans being audible people, like embodied people that need the words of the gospel to ring through our eardrums and penetrate our minds and our hearts. And so faith comes through. So faith is happening
1: as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I'm getting to the, what you no, again, but that's really what I-, what I, I did. This is so okay. good. <laughs> <laughs> it actually reminded me of uh, my favorite topic around this, which is like, why do certain stories seem to like resonate with us so much? Mm. And it's because when they have those pieces of truth inside of them, yeah. There's a way in which they can totally cut through maybe a yeah. calloused person, and kind of reach your emotional core, and you can yeah. you can experience a different kind of emotions, hearing a story that is yeah tuned into the truth of the one true story, what right. we're talking about here. Uh, so I love that. Yeah, and I think it's also cool, right? You're you're pointing out that in a way. They are being drawn into the story, right? That mm-hmm. you're implicated by what the story says. The story yeah. has something to say to you as an individual. And so there's there's even something transformational happening that way too. Totally.
0: Yeah. yeah exactly. So And then I guess for the preacher, yeah, this is not my my notes at all.
1: Okay. But, X temp, let's go. Well, neither was that <laughs> other stuff.
0: Yeah. But <laughs> I think Paul tells us multiple times in his epistles what preaching is for him because he's not. we don't have his sermons to the church in Corinth or Philippi or anything like that. But what we do have is him saying, when I was among you, like in Corinth, all I knew was the gospel. Like the things I told you wasn't something I added. It wasn't from my conjuring up of brain or anything like that. I was just making it clear to you and just making it simple to you. And so I think that In the Bible, what you see is preaching is not adding to like, this is what God wants. This is what God's, you know, I'm, I'm theorizing about God or I'm pontificating on what I want God to be like, or imagine him to be like, what Paul shows us is preaching is knowing the heart of God through the scriptures, through like the testimony of others. And then I'm going to communicate that to you. Uh, And that's all, that's what I'm giving you. And we know that Paul added lots. It's not like a rec- recitation of Jesus's six words, but it is a, this is, I'm I'm just giving you the message. I'm not adding to the message. I'm not subtracting from the message. And I think that that for the preacher means that you get to, you know, it's like the great privilege. One of the great privileges of my life, besides, you know, being married to me and having children and the dog. But the great vocational privilege is, oh, I get to spend all this time yeah. trying to study like the heart and the mind of God that's been revealed to us in the Bible. So mm-hmm. that's happening
1: too. That makes preaching sound like a lot more exciting. <laughs> I think if you had said that to me before I did the preaching cohort, I might've uh, acquiesced. earlier. <laughs> you might've said yes sooner. That's yeah. great. I um, should lead with that. More. Yeah, maybe, maybe you should. Uh okay let's let's now jump into something that uh is sort of looming over this whole conversation which mm-hmm. uh came up a lot like when we were going and talking to individuals about this topic before even putting together this series mm-hmm. uh which is really um uh the verse in uh 1st Timothy 2 uh 11 and 12 um do you have that? Actually, do you have that called up in front of you right now? Or I can, I can pull it up.
0: Sorry, I'm going to start on verse 8. What <laughs> Here I, we go. Uh, even bigger. <laughs> it says, therefore, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves, not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in
1: faith, love, and holiness with propriety. So I'm um, really glad you actually read the longer passage because I think people often latch onto the verses in the middle of that. And then they build a much larger theological idea on those two verses in isolation, yeah. as opposed to those verses within even the context of the the longer letter or the, or certainly uh, chapters before and after are obviously have a role to play as well, but... At a surface level, at least, you could say that, that those verses seem to stand in some kind of strong opposition to having women lead mm. in basically any way, right? Including having women preach, right? Yeah. It, like, it seems even more a blanket statement than, like, can women preach or not? It's, it's, it's bigger than that. Mm. But then, at the same time, obviously, we already let women lead their DNA groups, and we let them lead in missional communities, So, I think now we kind of have to answer, what is it that we believe at Soma about that verse and what it means? And like, why have we done things the way that we've done so far? And what does this kind of say about this topic overall? Yeah, I love it.
0: I always tell Mirala that the easiest things to talk about in the Bible are the hard passages. (laughs) Because the easy ones are really, it's just like, you know... God so loved the world. He gave his only, like it is, it is what it is. And I, I mean, I love to do that, but it's harder in the sense of you have to build people's excitement. At, yeah. You know, I think imagining into the future, the tension that people feel, mm-hmm. even with these pauses that I'm giving, on what does this mean in multiple different directions? But yeah, this is, I wouldn't say it's a problem verse or passage. Because I think it reveals like a lot of beauty and glory, but it's, it's been problematically like understood. So yeah, I think it, yeah, clearly we don't believe that it restricts women from, from speaking. And like, actually I read from the NIV that has done a a good job translating it. I think there's several, uh, translations that will say, so women have to be silent which is just not a fair um, translation of the word. Uh, So you want me just to walk through it Yeah. crazy? Okay, let's go deep on this one. So, uh, which is great, because I think this could all go under the heading of in the New Testament, we have this thing called teaching. And so here, uh, there's a restriction on teaching that's being expressed. And so in 1 Timothy, there's two kind of restrictions he's that Paul says i do not permit and sometimes people are like oh maybe that's just like a localized situation or something he does not permit these people but then it gets super weird because in multiple ways so one is this is ephesus well in Ep, like timothy's in the ephesus and there's like oh there's this woman cult thing happening and so he wants timothy to know don't let women have authority because it's there But he doesn't. Well, I don't think that that's accurate because he says, well, they, I don't permit them to do this because of the order of creation who was created first and the order of, of sin uh, and rebellion. So you're like, oh, well that's not like contextual also in the same city, in the same church, we know of plenty of women who led and, and did things, you know, like Priscilla. And Aquila, they go and they correct Apollo for, like, you're teaching incorrectly. This isn't good. This isn't right. So, that's there's all sorts of layers there of, ah, it kind of feels like exercising authority. That also feels like teaching. Like, let me tell you how to preach the gospel. And the thing is, is Apollo wasn't doing what uh, Paul had said, like, just preach the gospel. That's it. That's that was why their correction. She corrected. So she's like, Oh, yeah. you can't do that. Yeah. Which is so amazing. So I'm just making it more problematic, maybe for us <laughs> no, our this brains. That's great. This is great. So so then it's like, oh, okay, so is it about silence? Is it about quietness? So I think that's one of the first things. This Greek word is actually quiet. It's the same word used earlier in First Timothy that says, I want everybody in the church to live quiet. Simple lives. Uh, and it even it cor- cor- correlates to I want men to lift their hands up in prayer, not be quarreling and fighting. Because in the Roman world, it was all about like one upping, like one upmanship was created thousands and thousands of years ago. And that was the Roman society. So it's like, no, that's not going to be your life. The rule of life for the Christian is quietness like a quiet, humble, simple life, both for men and for women. That's what all the the jewelry stuff is about. And saying instead of adding beauty to yourself through all of these things, like think about like the faithfulness
1: and the actions that you do that adorn you. So Yeah, that seems like the first clue that there's something different is going on here if the exact same word is also being used. To describe what the whole congregation yeah. should aspire to, right? We can't be purely talking about. Do you teach? Do you not? Do you speak up? Do you not? Totally.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. So every do we have silent service? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. We go full Quaker. I don't know. What, yeah. Yeah. What? What's the? Which is yeah. It's so amazing. Yeah. But that is what he's he's talking about. That submission, that humility, that peace, like living in peace with one another. So then there's there's only one imperative like command in this whole thing too. So that's the quietness. The other thing is what's the command? And the command is that women learn. So it's like women must learn. They must like grow up. They must be taught. They must like receive, they must grow in their, you know, as we talked about last Sunday when we're recording this, like their intellectual pursuits which is a bit of a radical kind of thing to say. Um, there's, that's a, that's a big command. The reason I bring that up is just because I think a lot of the hard stuff, this is just getting into church history, but is saying we need to have this training on theology. Men don't need to, or women don't need to come, just men. We're gonna be doing this training on how to pray. Women don't need to come, just the men. We're gonna, you know, and there's a time for like men's retreats, women's retreats and stuff like that. But what's fascinating is, cause a lot of those groups that will do that will hold up parts of this passage and say, yeah, the reason we don't have women coming this thing is right. because of this. It's like, no, the actual command the imperative. is that women would be equipped. <laughs> yeah, you like,
1: missed the command the, the command of the passage. That's the citing. whole
0: like command, which is important. Like yeah. to just like Matthew 28 is, make disciples like that's the co- the command is to go and make disciples mm. you can lose it and all of this other stuff but it's like that's his parting words that's his command maybe it, like
1: that's important And yeah. countercultural for the time too right because yeah. women being learned being uh literate like that was that was the exception not the rule so he was even there's even something happening here that is not aligned with the, certainly what the cultural expectations yeah. have been for women at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Okay. So now we're just, no, I love it. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> so then we get into this word, Didasco, which means to like teach, uh, which is like, this is what's great about the New Testament. So sometimes people are like, oh, it was written in Greek. That sounds so exotic. It's the most rudimentary time of Greek when the Bible's written. Koine Greek is like street street language, you know? So we think about in English, we don't use that many words anymore. Same in Greek, like Didasco, it's one word. It's used all over the place in the whole Greek New Testament. For example, like what we just said, the great commission where it's like, go and make disciples teaching them to obey all that I commanded. That's the same word, like didasko, teaching. Or uh, Jesus was didasko in the synagogue and didasko in the houses. Or then the apostles gathered the people and they were meeting every day in the temple to listen to the apostles teaching, didasko. So, it's just this word that's used over and over and over again. What's fascinating about this passage is that it's coupled with uh, this other Greek word which means to have authority over. So it's a it's a modifying of this teaching, which is why like there is a restriction on teaching that Paul is saying like I do not permit women to have authoritative teaching, uh, which that authoritative word is to like have the the charge to carry out an assignment. So the the idea of you've been, commissioned or appointed to like, as a soldier kind of thing, like you have to go carry that assignment and it's you mm-hmm. and you have to do that. Uh, so, you know, one way to think about it with that, that use of the word is there's authoritative teaching that belongs, cause that's what he'll write about later is elders. Like they've been given this assignment, this charge, and they have to do it. Um, so it's that kind of thing, or to have, yeah, that kind of commission or authority, meaning, uh, the authority to like protect and to, and to cover up, which is what that. So it's like, it's the, there's three words, teaching authority and over, uh, which is like a cover, which same like prepositions that Paul will talk about with headship of like, there needs to be a covering over somebody and that the elders provide a covering, that husbands provide a covering, that kind of charge. Um, And so the reason that, yeah, the reason that this is even here though, I think, is that Paul's explaining the household of God. How does the house, how does the family of God operate? And he's kind of building towards the purpose of Paul's letter, which is to give him, Timothy, instructions on making this church in Ephesus more strong and stable and established in the way that God wants it to be, which is, excuse me, around elders and deacons, which is what he gets to next. And so the real context of the verse, and it's one of those tragedies of cutting it off, because I think it's really important after all that says, it says, these things, I don't permit women to have authoritative teaching. And the reason being locked into the history of the world and the history of sin. He says, here's a trustworthy saying whoever uh, aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not giving to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, and he like kind of goes goes right. on and on into the elder qualifications.
1: Yeah. And so this is like to me, this is like a tragedy of we take something and we sort of subtract the the bigger rhetorical sweep of what was going yeah. on, and so then we can kind of steer it into different directions of meaning. Totally. But if you if you hear it with what you just said. Immediately following afterward, yeah, I think I agree. Then it becomes much more apparent that he's sketching out the meaning of authority specifically attached to this concept of an overseer, what we now call the office of the elder in the church, and that 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 is bound up inside of that whole command to help women learn right right and maybe that's actually going to be a responsibility of the elder is to totally help build people up in that way for yeah. absolutely um I, yeah. I think now i should also probably try and play like devil's advocate for some of the opposite arguments so we can sure just explore that and you know because i know people will hear this in it's always nice to hear like an exegesis that you feel like is thorough, but then I think sometimes you sort of wonder like, oh, is there a lingering like? What would what other if? people say? Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> why is it? Why is it, for example, that other people can come to such a, I would say, and I would say like very reasonable people can come to a radically different conclusion about what this verse means, uh, or the the picture being painted of women's. Leadership and women's role uh, in leadership—I would say across the whole New Testament, not just this verse. But they, this is one of the things that they basically use to define what they believe a woman's role is and why a women a woman can't preach. So why totally. why do so many reasonable people, or I would say even like good theologians, come to that conclusion? Oh. Yeah, that's a great question. What did I say the other day? It was good. I don't know. <laughs> I hope you can. I mean,
0: you bring it back again. No, I, I guess I would say yeah. So yeah, to show all the cars, like yeah. So I think that that's permitting women from being elders, mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's a restriction on women from teaching the, the charisma or the like, like the doctrines of the church. So I would never be comfortable with it's like, oh man, we've got to like really address this like doctrinal shift in the church. Let's have Sally do it because you know, it's like, Oh no, like it's our charge. Mm -hmm. And that's like literally the word, our, our charge, like our received authority, like our, our responsibility to do that. And so I think part of what he's saying to me is he's saying, don't, I don't allow women to be given the responsibility that was actually given to the elders. Um, and so, which then you get into a lot of, yeah, that's some of the story of humanity for a long time, but I think that people will, I think there's tons of really faithful people that will say that to be an elder is to preach. And so we've really combined a couple of things, like even to it where, you know, my grandfather, was a pastor in Texas? They don't call them pastors; they call them preachers. Uh, like that's the 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 identifier of an elder, is the word is the function, preaching, uh, which is never which is not a title in the Bible. So that's like one kind of heads up. But I do think that I have a lot of like compassion because we in the history of the church, especially in America, have made all of the work of discipleship marriage counseling therapy uh, evangelism teaching what the bible all of the ministry of the church happens through the preaching and there's one person who does it and it's the preacher and so how could you allow a woman to do that that's an abdicating of the role or putting someone in in a responsibility that's not their charge so i think that's one part of it like one big layer of like how do people come to different conclusions about this um yeah i don't know i'm trying to think of the other good reasons i think that there's also lots of like for all of us there's like confirmation bias that happens and even you know it's one of my favorite things to point out to to certain people is there's actually no command ever given to adam to have authority over eve like there's, there's that's not given. Um, we have a curse, but we don't have Jesus commanding that or God commanding that too to Adam. Uh, it's, but I think that there's a lot that's read into it. Like even in the Genesis three, like you might have heard it taught, like oh well, uh, the the real reason the thing that happened is that Adam abdicated his role, and so that's why. Right. And it's like oh, I don't think that that's a thing that happens. That seems like we're reading into that because we want to read into it. And so, I don't know. I think that that happens. Mm. I'm trying to be like super charitable. I do think that, well, hopefully I am being charitable. No, you are. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Temperature check, charitability is high. High, high. high, not
0: not low. And even like, so in, we're part of two networks that have like authority over us as a church, Acts 29 and Soma. Both of those networks has churches, elders, pastors, teams that do not allow women to preach. And they would read it and they would say, no, it's really clear. Like, read it, just like read it in the English. Like, there it is. Authority, you know, and teaching. Preaching is teaching. Preaching is authority. Therefore, women can't do it. Um, and I've, I have no problem associating with people who believe that. Yeah. Or loving them and partnering with them for a long time like been part of both of those for like 15 years so
1: yeah that's it's a great point to bring up that within our own church networks and we belong to two networks Mm -hmm. right? soma and then acts 29 um, yeah there's actually churches on both sides of the differing interpretations Mm -hmm. of what's going on here yeah and and um you know, for for whatever reason, but I think for, for very good ones that are maybe a little bit outside of the scope of this conversation, those networks set ultimately decided, hey, this is an issue that we're going to treat as an open-handed issue. In other words, we're not going to say that church can or cannot be a part of the network on the basis of how they decide to uh, live this out within their right. church, within their ecclesiology, which I think is a strong indicator that like, reasonable people can disagree right
0: and and it is a like there's an interesting like where do you like like so people draw lines in different places so women can teach a sunday school class lead a community group lead worship but they can't preach or women can teach the bible on a saturday to men and women but they can't on sunday and so they're which I yeah, it's like that. People are trying to figure out very faithfully and earnestly, trying to be really obedient, yeah, and and submissive to to the
1: scriptures. And I yeah, I think that just to share a little bit personally, I think that is also where it starts to fall down for <laughs> me personally. Yeah, that's just my that's just where I'm coming at it. Is it's like it doesn't feel. Logically consistent to say that we interpret this passage as meaning authority in this super broad way. Right. right? And that all teaching, because it has authority somehow inherently inside of it, to teach us to possess authority or to exercise authority. Like, I can't simultaneously go that broad in that passage and then. I feel like if I'm going to go that broad, then I'm also boxing out the idea that women could be leading in missional communities. Right. Right. And like, and it's, it's a small thing, but I think the fact that we have already been in that space for so long is also one of the most important parts of this conversation because it sort of indicates in a way that, hey, like, we already maybe had a more limited or narrow view of like what kind of authority was and wasn't available to to women mm-hmm. to begin with from the start of the church. Right. Sure. And we we're leading MCs from the very beginning yeah, of, totally. of Culver City. Yeah. So I kind of feel like that's where the conversation reframes for me. And it becomes a question of like, okay, well, first of all, so, is it not as broad as all teaching is authoritative? And second of all, like, well, then what is preaching? Is preaching <laughs> actually truly in a special right. category? Right? right? Maybe it does like have its own special category. Right. I would like us to do at least one more devil's advocate question here to unlock that piece, which is, I think it is the authority thing is the is the big piece of this, and and in my mind at least. That's the, I could, (laughs) I could see one way where we had discussed this for a long time as elders. And if we had come to the conclusion that authority was all teaching, we would have been in a position of like, oh, I don't think we're supposed to be having women lead in any of these authoritative ways that Mm. they have been leading it. Yeah. Obviously we didn't go there, and I think there's a lot <laughs> of good reasons that we didn't. I'm happy that we didn't. I think we I think we've done a good job processing that. But why is it that not all preaching automatically sort of embodies that like eldering authority? Like why is why is there some things that you would put in that doctrinal mm. category of authority and other things which I don't know, I guess maybe it's just English usage, but it's like, if someone is preaching on a passage and they're explaining it well, I would tend to think that their explanation would be authoritative, right? So how are, how are we not in violation at that <laughs> point?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's where we need different words. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe we need better words. <laughs> yeah, which I've never come up with any. So that's a good, I I mean, I think that's a great devil's advocate question. And I do, I would say, You asked earlier, why do faithful people disagree with what we were talking about? And that's what they would say is, how could you talk about Jesus? How could you, the Bible is the authority of God that like, because it brings us into contact with reality as God created it and is still recreating through the power of the gospel. How could you talk anything about that ever and it not be authoritative? So it, all preach always, it's authoritative. So I think that, that's a good summary. Your devil's advocate, key, advocate <laughs> question it is a good sum, summary of like earnest people. I think that it's hard, and this is why we do this with the Bible in so many areas, like you can't, it's hard to take one passage and, and pluck it out, if you will, and put it at the top of your page and not look at any others. And so I think that that's a really telling thing. And there's a lot, most of the Bible's narrative, which means it doesn't have explicit, you must and you must not. Like what, Like this passage has one must, you must learn. Um, most stories don't have that, but they, they're descriptive. And then you pay attention to, does God come in and and say that it's wrong and and break it you know and so i would say that one is we need like better language around authority so i would say there's there's issues of fundamental doctrine or issues of false gospels that the church needs to be corrected in that like the elders should do you know and they should explain that to the church kind of like i'm explaining now these, these issues, like that should be done. Um, but then, so that's one. And then there's this other authority, which is we're all empowered by the spirit. So we've been given power to be witnesses. Jesus commands us all to go and make disciples and to teach them to make. So not all teaching is authoritative because Jesus goes, teach them to obey. Well, that seems really big, but that's to that's to men and women. Like that's that's a big group. And it's not just men that he gives that command to. Uh, so, I think there's, there's that, like, oh, we should maybe take a look at the whole of scripture and what does that entail? Um, and what, yeah, what does this mean? The other is there's these moments like like Deborah, who doesn't get corrected or shut down, or God doesn't come and say, oh, I'm judging Israel because you let that happen. So, that's like, oh, well, that's, that's kind of telling. Or when Miriam gets up and sings the song of freedom. God's not like, ah, which God did. I mean, like, especially like God's like keeping Moses out from the, from the Holy lands because he hit a rock.
1: Right. So it's like, he does that. Do the offering with the strange fire. He's like, like, we're wiping out. Yeah. So when
0: somebody puts their hands on the altar, right. So it's not like, oh, God's just overlooking those. That's hilarious. It's like, but it's, but it's the most important thing. Well, it seems like Mm -hmm. they're, God's not random and he's not manic depressive like so so there's that there's oh well there's these prophetesses proclaiming the gospel or like preaching and exhorting the body um in the way because it's it's using the same words new testament prophecy is not different than old testament prophecy um you have Paul encouraging people hey I sent Phoebe who is a woman Ask her questions afterwards. That's that's like a responsibility of a high authority. She can speak on my behalf, uh, which I think is a really great example of delegated authority. Where he's saying, "I've I've taught her. I know her. She's learned. She embodies everything that that you're supposed to as a humble, faithful disciple. You can listen to her. I've sent her on my behalf. Same with Junia. Same with." Aquila, so I think that, um, yeah, that's what the the counter to that is, but what's the full breadth of of scripture, and you have all of these occurrences where it seems like women are speaking publicly and using their gifts and in an assembly with men with men there, yeah, yeah. and not not like a women's group or anything, yeah,
1: like yeah. In a church setting.
0: Right. Yeah. And then I think maybe people might say, well, then, Brad, is there some way, is there some cool way to use Greek so that we can get rid of this male-only elder thing? Right. Like, what, Brad, do you have a cool (laughs) trick? A Greek trick? If you're a feminist, (laughs) you know? And that's what, like, a full transparency would be, like, my life as a male elder in the year of our Lord, 2023, so many aspects of my life would be easier if it wasn't. So there's parts of, oh, I wish, that's one of those things I read the Bible and it's my bias would be, no, like there's no, there's no difference, that would be great. But then I read the Bible and I can't get there um, because of the repetition, like in this passage in Timothy is like repetition of men. There's no historical evidence of the early church having men Uh, or women be elders. Mm -hmm. There's tons of evidence of women deaconesses. There's tons of women apostles who are like helping start women evangelists. So there's the giftings are all there. There's women teaching, there's people explaining there's, but it's, Oh, but this office isn't. And I think that there is like a scandal of a beautiful scandal of God, god making it this way uh despite what we would want or
1: desire to like change things up so yeah and this i really i'm glad that we're getting to this level because i remember when we talked about this before you used you used the word like mysterious which i think it absolutely is and it's it's um yeah why why one gender for one office and not another why did do, mm-hmm. why does the office of deacon apply to both genders but the office of elder doesn't mm-hmm. right um and you know and you described it you described it in terms of mystery and then in, me and my <laughs> in my continuing devil's advocate <laughs> role i said well you could also say it seems really arbitrary and like mm-hmm. so why are we are we so sure such an arbitrary division is correct or like Mm -hmm. could we be wrong because maybe it really is arbitrary right uh so how how would you speak to how do you contextualize that maybe that sense of arbitrariness Mm -hmm. for people that are going wait a minute so you're telling me we're still going to be complementarian in our views and we're going to stick to this male eldership thing but at the same time We're saying that women preaching is, you know, on the table for our church. How are you holding all those things at the same time? And I think they, I think some people come to this and they're like, they just assume automatically that the whole idea that women could preach period once again would inevitably lead to us concluding women can be elders. Right. Yeah. Um, We're a little bit in no man's land. Yeah.
0: Checkpoint Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get shot by the communists and the Americans.
1: Neither side is happy with us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I think part of it is I think we've cheapened the role of elder Mm. in some ways. And I think it gets cheapened when you're like eldering is preaching. And like, there's a lot of hard things that I do as an elder. Sometimes it's hard to preach on Sundays. Um, emotional reasons, spiritual, sometimes sweaty reasons, you know, like exhaustion or things that have happened, but like the really, um, the real stuff of being an elder is being a faithful example of a father uh, of a husband. And I think the reason, I think God clearly is choosing something there. I now I'm getting further from the trunk of like, this is what the Bible says and more into the more on the limb of based on the Bible, I think this, so I'm trying not to put stuff in God's mind, but there is something beautiful that I think that God is doing intentionally, which is he wants the church to be led by men, uh, who are reversing the curse and dying to themselves. Uh, in the same way that Christ died for the bride and that's an image that God is really keen on of the church is a bride that's intrinsically valuable where the groom will give everything for her to be, uh, cherished, loved and holy, like who she's supposed to be. And I think that God is clearly in love with that metaphor. Like, it's not just one rando New Testament writer. It's the whole deal. Jesus even talks about the bridegroom it's, and the bride. It's, it's incredible. It's like built in. And so I think to be an elder, is like, oh, it's the hard work of that, uh, which is why Paul says they have to be a one woman man, like faithful to their wife. Um, that's why when elders or pastors are not faithful to their wife, it's such a deep core pain because you're like, oh uh I guess he's uh, he's like cheating on the church too. And that's, and that's almost always the case or always. Um, so I think there's that. I'm, I'm going on a real big elder tangent, but uh, this is my pep talk to you. So I think there's that. Then the harder parts of being an elder too is like caring for situations that are hard. And one of the things that I say about it is that elders aren't the only people that serve in hard situations. They're just running through the house that's on fire and they're bringing everybody else in too, but it does require someone to go in first uh and do that that is a really long answer and now i've forgotten your question but <laughs> no that i think there's great. there's that's the great. elder part and then i think there's this mystery of like and maybe yeah mystery is an annoying word but i think god doesn't give everybody the same opportunities and so It's not that everybody who's a man who meets these qualifications is an elder. It's, you know, because he'll go on and talk about like whoever the Spirit appoints, put your hands on and make them an elder. He's just saying find some men that look like this, and and they're they're your elders. Some of those, not all of them. So the Spirit picks, right? Not even the ones you pick. Totally. So it's like, well, what if I'm a man? So there's a glass ceiling. If we would have used that metaphor, it's like, I'm a, I'm married. I have a good job. I have a house. It's all great. My kids are great. I'm an amazing evangelist at my work and I'm in the city and all of this, but I can't be an elder. And it's like, yeah, there, there's, there, there is that, you know, or, um, I'm a really good preacher, but I can't be an elder. It's like, yeah, that, that also happens. Or we, you know, there's, there's people in our church that are given inheritance, you know, and. And get to own homes that other people don't get to own. uh, That God like orchestrated, where there's people that have incredible jobs and get to be super generous with their money. And then there's other people that don't. They have incredible jobs that they just don't give all that money. There's people that get to, you know, duke it out in the courtroom for the sake of justice. And there's other people who don't. Um, There are people who in the church who get to walk and people who don't. People who get to hear who don't. Uh, and I don't know, maybe I'm just trying to say the church is unfair, so deal with it. But I, I think there's that there is a scandal of like, not everybody gets the same task. And I would, the last thing, because of the glass ceiling metaphor, which is especially prominent in this chat about just like women, I think the power of the gospel is that Jesus broke the glass ceiling from the other way. And so he condescended, broke through the glass ceiling to, to like lift us up into like the kingdom so that every man and woman could bow their knee and say like, oh, Jesus is Lord. And like, I get to know him and be wrapped up into his love. Like that's the whole story. And so anytime, any Christian, male, female is trying to like get through a glass ceiling, it's like, oh, we don't understand. The ceiling's already been broken the other way like towards us. And if that's not enough, nothing ever will, you know? So it's like, oh, if I don't get to preach, you know, like Charles Spurgeon, I love Spurgeon. He's like one of my guys, but he's like, oh, a preacher has to be someone who has this fire that they must preach. And if they can't preach, they'll die. That's who we're looking for. And I'm like, no, no, like, no. Like if that's your, like, I have to preach or I'll die. I mean, I get what he's saying, like. You have to have be this passionate. fire and yeah. this passion, yeah. but there's also this component of like, oh, hopefully we can be better. Than that. Like, hopefully Jesus is enough because if Jesus isn't enough, I do know this, preaching never will be.
1: Yeah, so good. Yeah. Yeah. I think- It's <laughs> four episodes now. <laughs> I know, I know, but it's so good because I think I think what you tapped into there is actually maybe the thing that makes us uncomfortable Deep down, which is the possibility for unfulfillment on our terms—that we that God might withhold something from us—and so, it. And I think, like, in this issue, it flares up because that withholding seems made explicit in some sense Mm. in terms of it being a gender divide. But I think. Exactly as you said, you take one step back and you look at the complexity of all the different individuals in any given totally. church body, you're going to see people being held back by God from things they want, from things they always dreamed of, mm. right? People who can't have kids. Right. Right? Like truly difficult totally. stuff to walk through. Like things I would say not to diminish the concern around this topic, but things that probably sit heavier on the human heart than whether or not you're ever going to attain a given office. And so I think something that happens with us emotionally with this subject is we, we brush up against that deeper sense of like, oh, things might not go as I would have them go. Am I going to be okay with that? Right. And that's, and that's really hard. It is. Yeah. It's always really hard. Yeah. I mean, I think
0: that, yeah, I can genuinely, I'll just transparently share things in my own life of brushing up against, Oh no, I think I'm a pretty good preacher. I think I'm pretty smart, pretty faithful, have good things to say. And like, this is something I talk about with my therapist all the time, because it's a core challenge for me. And I know people like in Japan who are just like, the best preaching to eight people and I'm preaching I don't know how 12 people 20 30 people whatever and it's like and then I see these rando people who are talking about crazy talk they don't know how to put it together and there's like millions of people and tons of money and all of those things and it's like why can't I have all of that that's not fair because I have all of the the whatever um, so I i mean I just I, just to say like I resonated with it in this topic
1: yeah thank you for the vulnerability I think yeah. uh, in reality we all have those things totally in our lives yeah and this is like probably a pretty good time to stop and reflect on that
0: That's all for this episode. As we look through the theological realities, we have more to talk through, but we thought this would be a great breaking point for you to stop and to reflect as Casey just challenged us to and to think through what all of this means for us. Also, if you have any questions about what this episode is about, what we've talked through, please reach out to any leader or MC leader and have conversations with them. Also, make sure you check out the show notes that will have a lot of additional resources, references for the scriptures that we talked about. So you can pull them up and read them yourself, different books, different articles that also could be helpful to you. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day, or if you want, you can just go on to the next episode.